Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Lately, I've become a connoisseur of street names. It all started when I was driving along 54th Street here in San Diego, and I turned right, and suddenly I literally found myself on Easy Street. And I thought, gosh, somebody had fun coming up with that name, Easy Street. (laughs) Since then, I've been collecting street names like that, and I'm hoping that we can all crowdsource some more to add to my collection. Here are some of my favorites, and I've checked all of these on maps. In Casco, Maine, there's a road called Uptha, U-P-T-H-A, so that's up the road. <laughs> oh, terrible. <laughs> in uh, in Hemet, California, near here, there's a street sign that says Habitur, and that, of course, is for Habitur Way. And <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> poor Grant. <laughs> and uh, the folks who live near Porter's Lake, Nova Scotia, apparently ran out of ideas when it came to naming streets because there are three connecting streets next to the lake. And if you look at them on a map, you'll see that they're called this street, that street, and the other street. Must be terrible to do directions there. I mean, <laughs> right. it, just, it must be the worst. <laughs> this isn't quite what you're talking about, but it reminds me when the Google directions on the maps, when the robotic lady gives me directions, mm-hmm. and she says, so we have A, B, and C streets here in San Diego, and she says, turn right on a street. Oh. <laughs> Instead of turn right on A Street, I'm like, no, robot lady, that's not quite right. It's not a street, it's A Street. (laughs) Well, I know there are probably fun street names where you live. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send them to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, my name is Ben Whiting. I'm calling from Traverse City, Michigan. And my question is this. So I was adopted uh, back in the day. It was a closed adoption. And through the the modern magic of 23andMe, uh, my biological family found me. Now, of course, I refer to the people that raised me as my mom and dad. But I'm starting to have a great relationship with both my biological parents. And I was wondering, is there a correct phrase to call them? For now, I've just been calling them bio mom and, and bio dad. But I don't know if there's actually uh, a better phrase I could be using or if that's just what we have because this is a modern issue that we that people are dealing with now. And, Ben, how do they feel about those terms? They, I mean, they don't really know what to, <laughs> to call themselves either. They're both so kind. Uh, they're not going to be presumptuous and, and think that I would call them mom or dad because, you know, we've only known each other for a couple of years. But uh, so we've all just been kind of going with bio mom and, and bio dad at this point. Um, that's interesting. We use the term bio mom in my household because my spouse was adopted as well and called her parents. Yeah, called her parents mom and dad. And uh, later she found her biological mother and uh, they have a great relationship and she often visits. And when she does, you know, we say her bio mom is coming. Have you tried any other terms like birth parent or first parent? No, I mean, the the people, because I was adopted two days after I was born. So it has always mm-hmm. just been mom and dad uh, for them. I mean, they raised me. I'm 40 years old now. Other than just, you know, using their names, uh, which also feels weird for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just bio mom and bio dad is the only kind of solution we have. I had a different experience. I grew up with a stepmother, but I knew her from very young. My birth mother died a couple weeks after I was born. So for me, my stepmother, I don't call her that. I just call her mom. She's always been my mom. And so if I talk about my birth mother, I just say birth mother because I never have to, because she's not around, I don't ever have to really refer to her that often. So just birth mother kind of does the job anytime I'm filling out paperwork or, you know, referring to her indirectly. So, so birth mother works, bio mom being short for biological mother. I probably would say biological mother because uh, she only comes up in more formal situations and bio mom is a little too informal. Hmm. Right, right. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because this family now, it's like I feel like my family is just kind of 
you know, expanded. I, I am more of a, an inclusive person than an exclusive person, and everyone's great. I feel exceptionally fortunate. And you just want to make sure everyone knows that you care about them, and you don't want anyone to feel bad about any label you might put on them. Right, right. Anthropologists have a reason to differentiate these when they're talking about uh, lineage and kinship and stuff. And so uh, when they talk about genetic and biological parents, they use mm-hmm. genitor for the male and genetrix for the female. That's G-E-N-I-T-O-R and G-E-N-E-T-R-I-X. But this sounds like it could be like some, some Greek mythological creature or maybe a, a transformer from the 80s. <laughs> genitor? <laughs> genitor. And then... <laughs> the socially recognized parents are, are, are words that you will recognize, mater and pater, M-A-T-E-R-P-A-T-E-R. So these are the ones that are, we, we recognize because we have intimate relationships with them. We, we grow up with them. They're, they're the ones who are around and that we have um, everyone in the, around us knows them as our, our, our parents. But they may not uh-huh. genetically be our, our, our progenitors. I've seen it suggested when you're talking to a child who has been adopted, um, saying "tummy mummy," which I I don't rec- I don't know. <laughs> this is maybe yeah. If for a I little mean, child, that's old. a little too cutesy. It might be a little late in the game to uh, to throw yeah, that yeah, one in the mix. Yeah, late in the game. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is uh, this is great. I love the uh, the kind of like I said the, the transformer name and the. the Hater and that stuff. That's I'd never heard of those. That's really fascinating. Well, I'm sure we'll find some kind of fun way to, to throw them in the mix at the next uh, large family barbecue. Well, I know that we have a lot of other people in that same situation, so I'm sure we're going to hear from a lot of people about how they've uh, they've solved that problem. Although it, I'm not sure that it's a problem exactly. You're just you're just looking for something that's that's more evocative of your situation. That's why I found if you just address people as "Hey, beautiful," everyone loves it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> that already, that already goes to my wife, so I, I can't uh, can't be throwing that around oh. too much. <laughs> of course, of course, my wife says that to our dog, so <laughs> so it goes. All right. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> bye bye. All right. Appreciate. Thank you, you Love so the program. much, Ben. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Oh, it is a really complicated situation, right? Adoptive mother, mm. natural mother, real mother, birth mother, mm. bio mother, and then of course all the variations for father. Just a mm-hmm. lot of different ways to go with this. And I know that there must be other solutions that other families have come up with. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear about them. 877-929-9673. Or tell us about it in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Yes, hi. This is Linda DePew. Um, I live in Bluntville, Tennessee, near the Virginia border. I had a question about um, the use of the word uh, axe, like A-X, I guess, um, instead of ask, A-S-K. I uh, have a few times heard um, my elders here. I had a neighbor who was way up in her 90s in particular, and um, she always used the phrase ask. Um, um, can I ask, ask you a question uh, instead of ask? And I noticed a lot of people just seem to assume that was lack of education, um, but I know, and I know my neighbor didn't go very far in school, so, you know, maybe that's true, but she was extremely intelligent, but she grew up in an isolated farm area around here, and I just thought, well, maybe there's more to the history of that than most people think. Most people, when they think of acts, a X mm-hmm. or A-K-S instead of A-S-K, they think of uh, black American English instead of uh-huh. uh, white American English. And so they both stem from the same place. They both stem from these settlement patterns of uh, Scots and Irish speakers of a variety of dialects coming to North America. But before that, they also come from older varieties of English. For example, in Old English, the verb was ASCIAN, A-S-C-I-A-A-N. And you can see, you can hear ask in the first part of that. But in both Old and Middle English, and so we're talking a very long time ago in the history of our language, there were two words, ASCIAN and AXIAN. So the sounds, the S and the, the K, so the S and the K sounds were swapped. This is called metathesis, yeah. and it's really common, especially for those two sounds when they're near each other, for them to be swapped around. 
It's very common. Um, So it's the kind of thing that would just happen in the mouths of almost any speaker of English. And it's so common that people might not even notice. And it's also common enough Mm -hmm. where a a word can permanently switch. But in this case, Axian and Ascian existed side by side for centuries. And eventually, Ax and Ask existed side by side for centuries. So when English speakers were coming over from the British Isles, there were a lot of different dialects. There wasn't just one dialect. And so when they came over to North America, they brought all those varieties of English and planted them throughout North America. Again, not just one English, but many. And so that's what we're seeing here. These these patches of Appalachia where Ax is spoken, where Ax is said instead of ask, those represent those settlement areas. And it's the same thing for Black American English. Those represent uh, settlement patterns, usually Scots-Irish settlements. The important thing that you said that I really, the most important thing you said was people misattribute this to lack of education. And it just isn't so. The other thing that you said that is uh, you talked about isolation. This is the reason Mm -hmm. that these dialect features last. Geographic isolation in Appalachia was a real thing for a very long time. And so Appalachia developed and conserved its own dialect features that distinguish it in a noteworthy way from other U.S. dialects. And even today, Appalachia has such a uh, has preserved a sense of culture and identity that makes it stand out in a in a really important way. And there's so much to be studied and cherished there. And and acts can be part of that if people want it to be. Um, right. <laughs> acts, wow. you know, and you, it's funny. Acts is one of those dog whistle words where when someone wants to criticize someone as being unintelligent, they might imitate somebody saying it. But right. as, as we've right. just talked about, if you're criticizing someone for saying ask, then you're failing to understand English language history and U.S. history and linguistics and the complex mm-hmm. socio-cultural factors that bring that simple three-letter word and its variant through the millennia. Well, right? That, that is so interesting. <laughs> That's so interesting. And people in this area, I think, um, have long been misunderstood and maybe undervalued. Linda, I am so glad you asked this question. Well, thank you. Thank you for such a wonderful answer and for taking the time. appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 You can ask questions too, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. More about language and how we use it as Away With Words continues. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And look who is darkening our doorway. No, wait, he's lightening it up. Hi, John. John Chinesky, our quiz guy. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. I'm so glad to be here and brighten. I hope I brighten your day, and I hope this quiz will brighten it even more. Let's take a look at it. This week, it's one of our staples. I call it the takeoff. It's a variation on a National Puzzlers League puzzle type, but it's very simple. Take a word, take its first letter off, and a new word is left behind. Now, I'll read a sentence that contains clues to both the original word and the word that results when you take off its first letter. You tell me both of them. This week, we're taking off the letter K from the beginning of a word or the letter L. We're doing K or L from the beginning of all these words. For example, Sir Pellinore hopped on his horse and rode off into the darkness. The answers would be, you want to take a A guess? A knight 
Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, and Knight, N-I-G-H-T. Exactly. Oh. Knight, as Sir Pelinor is a Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, and then you remove the K and you get N-I-G-H-T, which is clued by the word darkness. Good. Here Got we it. go. Again. All right. Here's each of these sentences has a clue to each of the words. You're going to remove the K from the beginning or the L. The atmosphere in the villain's hidden headquarters smelled of evil. The mm. lair air. Mm. Lair mm-hmm. and air, yes. Lair is in hidden headquarters and air as an atmosphere. Good work. I invented a device to spray pigment on my document, but the hose had a twist in it somewhere. The, no, it's not, pink, or the kink ink. Kink and ink, <laughs> yes, nice. I like how you guys are giving the giving the listeners just a couple of seconds to, to get their answer in. Yeah, that's, good. that's what it and is. Martha. Yeah, and it's Martha. Yeah, not that we're slow. <laughs> okay. Here's one. This one's a little interesting, this, this clue. Earth, wind, also fire. <laughs> Earth, wind, also fire. <laughs> um... There's only four words in this clue. So I two know. of them have to two of them have to be clues to the words we're looking for. Right. Earth, wind, fire. Oh, land and oh. land and and <laughs> land for earth and uh and for also or also for and. Nice work. I like that scene in Star Trek where Scotty and McCoy try to annoy the captain. Oh, I oh, forgot to mention irk, some. They irk yeah. Kirk. They irk <laughs> Kirk. Yeah, I forgot to mention some of these. They might be proper nouns. Yeah, Kirk and irk. My paramour lent me his car. I wrecked it, and that was the last straw. Lover, oh. and it's over. Lover, and it's over. Unfortunately, yes. Lover, remove the L, and you get over. Finally, I attempted a difficult skating jump, but I guess I'm just a clumsy oaf. Lutz and Uts. Not <laughs> oh, you, is yes. Lutz and Uts? Go the other is way. That yeah. word? Klutz, Martha. Oh. <laughs> Lutz and Klutz. Yeah, you were almost there. Yes, <laughs> it's Lutz and Klutz. Klutz <laughs> ice skating to know the Lutz. Yeah. You have to Uts the Klutz to get them to yeah. do a Lutz. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was fantastic. You guys are great. Nice job on these takeoffs. Thank you, John. It'll be dark in here when you go. We appreciate your time. We love doing quizzes with John, and we love to do the puzzles you throw our way, too. Send him an email to words at waywardradio.org, or spill him out on the telephone, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, gang. It's Dave Keeler from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hi, Dave. What's on your mind? Well, I am deeply troubled for years now about the term or the word versus and you would think of it traditionally as like a fight between two individuals but when you see it written down in like say the supreme court if you look at the term you know uh, brown versus board of education it's just done as a v but if you Mm -hmm. look at it in the sporting world like the broncos versus the bears it's vs and so which is the correct term to write it, and some will even say, like, you know, a Roe v. Wade, but in the movies it's Kramer versus Kramer. And then also I've heard some people now use the term, like, I would rather take the train versus the car, but they will also use the phrase, I would rather take the train vice the car. And I've heard that over the past few years, and I've never heard it used that way before. David, you said you were you were very concerned, greatly concerned, I think were the exact words. What makes you greatly concerned about this? Well, at first I thought someone was just using the term wrong when they used it as the, the phrase vice. And I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, they were just misspeaking or not using it right. But then I've heard other people who are educated people use the term vice. And I thought, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the problem child. So it's caused me to question everything I know. <laughs> we got to call it like we see it sometimes. And yeah. um, then that's what also led to the, well, you know, when you watch TV or in the sports, 
still use VS. And yet, whenever I write or you see it in a legal document, I see Z. So I was curious, what's the difference? Oh, David, you are deeply troubled. Oh, yes. So many problems. <laughs> How can we unpack this train wreck? Um, let's let's dispatch the vice part first, because people do use vice to mean in place of or replacing if somebody fills in for somebody else. So, for example, somebody might say, David acted as co-host of Away With Words, vice Martha, and that means that you're filling in for me. And so you don't hear it that often, but that's how that's used, and it comes from uh, Latin for in place of, like a vice president, for example. Mm. Versus takes a lot more unpacking. That is, of course, the Latin word for against. And I'm going to try to put a positive spin on this because um, the fact is that there are lots of options when it comes to rendering verses on the page. And it, and it just depends on where you are and what the context is. As you noted, in legal context in the United States, um, if you look at Supreme Court decisions, for example, it's V period, Brown V mm-hmm. Board of Education, Roe V Wade, although Black's Law Dictionary also says that you can abbreviate it VS period if you want to. Um, And in less formal situations in the U.S., as you mentioned sports, it's uh, often VS period. So Mets versus Giants or San Diego Wave versus the Angel City women's soccer team. But then you go to England and in British English, you often leave off that period uh, in certain legal cases. And also, if you're talking about sports teams there, it's Manchester United versus Leeds, uh, and it's VS without a period. Um, Although, again, another exception, uh, if you look at the style guide for the Guardian newspaper, they say V without a period for versus. So they say Manchester United (laughs) V Leeds with no period. Um, so I think the bottom line is that you don't have to worry about being incorrect or not. If you want to take a formal tone in your writing, use the whole word versus. But other than that, um, there are a lot of variations there. So, so I hope that we've eased your mind at least a little bit. Indeed. So you could say the bad news is anarchy, but the good news is there's no wrong answer. Well, it's, it's not anarchy. It's just competing style guides. The language itself doesn't demand that it be spelled out a certain way or abbreviated a certain way or punctuated a certain way. That's that's just superficial. Yeah, maybe not anarchy versus style guides. Well, perfect. Now there's some order out of the chaos. I appreciate your time. <laughs> that's what we're here for, David. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. The next time that you're, you're gravely concerned about English, give us a call. <laughs> I sure will. Thank you much. Right, okay, take care, David. Bye. And then we know that people are wondering right now, what about people using versing, versing in game playing? Well, yes. we've answered that question, and it's on our website. Somebody versing somebody on Xbox or PlayStation, yes. Just search our website for that. That's waywardradio.org. a couple of more street names. In Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a street called Street Avenue. Street Avenue? Yes. What? Yeah, I don't know if that's named for a Mr. or Ms. Street, but um, there's a Street Avenue in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in Fairbanks, Alaska, there's a Yellow Snow Road. I, I don't want to know the story. Oh, no. I'm <laughs> sure they knew what they were doing when they put that up. <laughs> Share your funny street names with us, 877-929-9673, or send them to us in email, words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Mary Grinton. I'm calling from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm calling about the expression chasing flies in Egypt. My grandparents um, use this expression a lot to refer to the time before you were born. Um, You know, some people say you were a twinkle in your mother's eye. Uh, my parents would say, oh, you know, back then you were chasing flies in Egypt. Um, I grew up in South Louisiana, but my grandparents grew up in Indiana, so I'm not sure where the expression came from. But I've never heard anybody else use it, so I was almost convinced that they made it up. was wondering if you had any information. Chasing flies in Egypt. So 
you would they'd be talking about family memories and you'd be like i i don't know what you're talking about they'd be like oh that was when you were chasing flies in egypt before you were exactly born. okay yeah i don't know of that as a set expression martha do you uh chasing flies in egypt no i don't i i do know of it uh people just talk about uh something of a a large quantity or something abundant, they might say, you know, there were, some, there were as many of those as there were flies in Egypt. And flies in Egypt is a reference to the Egyptian plagues. Uh, flies were one of the plagues brought down upon the, the Egyptians mm-hmm. in the Bible. Um, and so you'll frequently find that, particularly in older texts, maybe not so much anymore, talking about flies being a lot of them. But uh, other than that, no, but uh, everyone knows, I think, I think it, most people have heard of the twinkle in your mama or daddy's eye. That's a, that's a common. Right. You know, there are many more of these. One of my favorite ones is from a 1970 play by Alex Buzo. The play is called The Front Room Boys, and it's When You Were a Dirty Look. <laughs> when You Were a Dirty Look? <laughs> that's, that's a funny one. That one makes a little bit more sense to me. Yeah, that's more than a gleam in your daddy's eye. <laughs> Right. And uh, uh, I, there's one that uh, the lexicographer Jonathan Green says is Australian. It's when you were still running up and down your father's backbone. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> I know in Turkish there's something like uh, piyasada yokten, which means something like you weren't on the market yet. <laughs> <laughs> like you like, weren't out on display to pick up along <laughs> yeah. with the groceries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know there's an Italian one, which is really lovely, you were still in the world of the moon. Oh. Yeah. Eri ancora del, nel mondo della luna. You're still in the world of the moon. I love that. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Oh, and then there's a, I think this is English, but I think you might find it in other European languages. Your mother was still cutting bread on you, meaning I guess you were still in her protuberant belly. So she had bread on her <laughs> belly and was using you as, as it as a shelf to cut things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I know That's we haven't heard one. chasing flies in Egypt, but why not? Why not? <laughs> why not well, have that as list. a reference? To, yeah, add it to the list. It's a good yeah. one. Yeah, or maybe somebody else has, and we'll hear about it. Yeah, we always hear about it. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Mary. Thank we appreciate you. it. Appreciate it. All right, take care now. Bye bye. Bye, Mary. Bye bye. I'm hoping that we hear lots of other ones from our listeners. You can call us at 877-929-9673. Or if you've heard of Chasing Flies in Egypt, let us know by email, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a wait with words. Hi, Martha. This is Scott Proctor from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show. Well, I, I work as a technical writer for a software company. And I've been there for about four years, and I've noticed a very strange strange usage for the word as. And when I use as, I use it as a comparison or a substitution, you know, like cotton is absorbent as wool, um, or instead of while. But this company and its 3,000 or so employees tend to use it in place of because. So... An example, because this is software, you must enter the customer's name before you enter their code as it causes systems errors. So when I read that, I think you you add that as it's doing the error, like while it's doing the error. So everyone seems to use it in place of because. So I've never heard of that usage, and I appreciate you considering this. <laughs> okay. And you have a style guide? Do you use one of the standard style yeah, guides? Yeah, it's AP, based on AP, um, plus some Microsoft. Do you have an internal style guide with, that modifies those for your own purposes? Uh, which I actually wrote. <laughs> so You did? Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah. I was just wondering if there was a reason that you were finding this is pervasive throughout the company. Maybe a style guide rule had gotten, gone into play. No, um, definitely not. <laughs> so what what's your perception of that as do you find that people are just doing because they're seeing it done elsewhere in the company or do you get a sense that I, that it's a carryover from a previous generation and it's just kind of persisted? It's interesting because this of all companies I've worked for this is a very diverse age range. So um I I have a feeling 
that it started with the original training documentation because my job was to convert PDF documentation to online articles. So what I found was, I don't know how many authors wrote that, but it seems to mimic that type of writing. It seems somewhat formal. All of these questions are helping us zero in on what I think is happening here, and that is it's not so much a question of formality, which you suggested. I think it's a question of fashion. And using as in this way to mean because has gone out of fashion. It's faded from use in North American English for much of the last 80 years. Now, wow. it does exist, and it might be still common in some registers of British English, but it's just not something that's done very often anymore. And so that's why it might seem unusual to you, although it is an accepted grammatical use of as. It's fine. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah. The reason I asked about style guides is because it's something that you could write into the style guide and say, we don't do this anymore. Use because. I already have, Grant. Yeah. So, <laughs> Good yeah. for you. So let's, let's explore this a little bit. So From this day is, one. <laughs> um, if you look at some expert resources. I looked at Brian Garner in his latest edition of his Modern English Usage, and he quotes and agrees with Henry Fowler, the famous uh, grammarian and usage expert, that as and because are not perfectly interchangeable. So these two fellows say that as can be misread as meaning while, just like you said it, meaning during an ongoing action. So yeah, you're seeing the okay. symptoms here of people reaching for a, a higher register of language that is unnecessary because they want to, they're trying to find ways to elevate their language to make it seem important or significant, Gosh. even if it's not warranted by the content of it. But you know, as the guy who writes the style guide also, you know, you have the opportunity to put it in bold and, and red ink <laughs> and <laughs> underline yeah. it and scar it and <laughs> put it in a marquee. Wow. Oh, this has been a serious treat. I listen to you every week, and I think about things to call in for. So thanks. Thanks so much. Appreciate well, it. Please do again sometime. Take care of yourself. I will. Good, good luck getting the point across. Uh, good luck with the <laughs> Thank writing. Thank you. All right. Take <laughs> care Paul. now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'd love to talk with you about the language in your workplace. Call us, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Away with Words is about language seen through family, history, and culture. Stay tuned for more. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine Away with Words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash adfree. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. Waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A mermaid is a fabulous sea creature with the body of a human and the tail of a fish. And the linguistic roots of this word go way, way back into antiquity. So mermaid shares a common ancestor with words like marine and maritime and even marinate. And of course, the Spanish word for ocean, mar. 
But what I didn't know until recently is that mermaid is also a verb. I learned that from a remarkable new documentary called Mer People, and it's about people who portray mermaids both as amateurs and professionals at tourist attractions. And you can find this on Netflix. It's a fascinating look at this subculture. Half the time I watched it with my jaw on the floor, sometimes I watched it with my heart in my throat. Um, because sometimes this uh, freediving in costume is not without risk. But what's fascinating to watch as a language person is how slang naturally arises in that subculture. For example, if you're going to mermaid, you need to wear an ornate heavy tail made of latex or silicone or fabric. And after a session in the water, when you're wriggling out of one, you detail. And putting on your tail is a lot of work, and if you're not right next to the water, then you have to have help from another person getting the whole thing on and have them carry you to the water, and those people are called wranglers. Now, some of these coinages are a bit self-conscious, and a lot of them involve puns, because mers, as they call themselves, will sometimes greet each other with shello rather than hello. And oh, Grant, that's I, terrible. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them take shelfies with, um, <laughs> you know, with their phones. But I've since found out that my friend Whitney belongs to a pod of mer people here in San Diego. She's part of the Ocean Beach pod, and she confirmed that many mermaids do greet each other with shello. But when I first heard this in the documentary, I thought they were saying shalom, and. I thought, well, I guess there could be Jewish mermaids because one of the striking things about the mermaid community is that it is incredibly diverse and welcoming. Mers come in all shapes and sizes. They represent a variety of ethnicities, of body types, of physical abilities. And anyway, the movie is this fascinating look at a subculture, if only to watch that new language bubbling up, as it were. It's... <laughs> It's called Mer People, and it's by Oscar-winning director Cynthia Wade. I don't think there's a pun intended there. If you've got cool language in a community that you're part of, Martha and I really love to hear about it. You can send us an email, tell us the whole story, or link to your favorite glossary, words at waywardradio.org, or tell us on the telephone. 877-929-9673 is toll-free in the United States and Canada, and we have a WhatsApp number. You can find that on our website at waywardradio.org. Hello, welcome to Away With Words. Hello. Hi, who's this? This is Margaret Van in Huntsville, Alabama. Well, hello, Margaret. Welcome to the show. Hey, Margaret, what's up? Well, my mother had a very interesting saying that always bothered me because it didn't make sense. But uh, the saying was when she was in a hurry to get something done or was trying to hurry us to get something done, she says, We've got to do this with a burning needle and a hot thread. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what did you picture? Well, it didn't make sense to me because I thought the, the needle should be burning and the thread should be hot. <laughs> I mean, the other way around. The other way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Usually when you hear this phrase, it's the needle that's hot and it's the thread that's burning. Uh, and often you hear it as a red hot needle and a burning thread. This phrase has been around for quite a while. People often use it to refer to something that looks like it's sewn with a red-hot needle and a burning thread. You know, somebody was sewing as fast as they could, and it looks slapdash and sloppy. You know, they got it done, but it ain't pretty. And, Margaret, you'll enjoy this. There's a jaunty tune from the 1950s called A Red-Hot Needle. It's by Bob Willis and the Texas Playboys. Oh, sure. Yeah, it's really cute. It has this... Uh, refrain that goes, I'm sewing up a coat of love with a red-hot needle and a burning thread. I'm writing her a note of love with a red-hot pencil and a burning lead. They go on to say, uh, uh, I'm in a hurry, got to make up time. That's why I'm using speed. So the idea is they're doing something really quickly because they're really in love. How cool is that? That's really cool. And what, <laughs> who was the group that did that song now? 
That's Bob Willis in the Texas Playboys. And something else I really love about this expression is that in parts of the Caribbean, the phrase hot needle burn thread describes something that's done in haste. And I saw one dictionary citation that uh, goes, that wedding got to be hot needle burning thread. And the reason is that it's because the bride is pregnant. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. Sometimes it's burnt thread. So Uh (laughs) run up with run up with hot needle and burnt thread. (laughs) It is already done. Mother was born in Middlesbrough, Kentucky. And uh, and I think 1904 or and so I guess she heard it from her mama. Uh, mm. who also was a Kentuckian. So, but yeah. my sister and I were talking about it and only she and I remembered it. Well, thank you, Margaret, so much for sharing your memories of this. Uh, take care of yourself and thanks for calling. Thanks, Margaret. Well, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Call us 877-929-9673. Grant, you remember our conversation about taking the number 11 bus or traveling by Pat and Charlie? Oh, yeah, taking your Chevrolet legs. They, these all <laughs> right, mean walking. Legs. Right, right. Well, that conversation prompted an email from Karen Knox, who lives in Ontario, Canada. And she said that when she was growing up in the 1980s in Montreal, whenever she walked and took public transit anywhere, she writes, I grew up in the 1980s in Montreal, and whenever we walked and took public transit anywhere, we said, we go by BMW. Bus, metro, walk. (laughs) I know there are a bunch of these, so ride Shank's mare over to the computer. Send us an email to words at waywardradio.org and tell us yours. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is Rafaela from Wausau, Wisconsin. Hi, Rafaela. Welcome. What's up? What can we do for you? Well, I was thinking about this the other day, as many subjects seem to come up among family members. I'm married, so there's the other family. And when we speak about the foibles, the idiosyncrasies of family, I've wondered if there's an unwritten rule about who gets to bring those things up, because it can be sensitive. It seems that generally one's own family has, shall I call it, the right to bring up their family, own family's oddities or funny stories or maybe even embarrassing things. But I wonder if there's a law about that, about who breaches the subject or is the subject to etiquette or is that dead? Hmm. Wow. So are you talking about your your spouse at these family gatherings or somebody else? Well, it could be my spouse's family. It could be another friend in their own family, um, extended family. Like, What do you mean by foibles and idiosyncrasies? Are we talking about the, the way that they sing, or are we talking about things like not doing their fair share of work around the house? Oh, well, that could have come up, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, well, you know how Uncle Bob always talks like this, or his his funny manner of um, of responding to things or is like as funny things people do. Like for instance, my father-in-law always says 14 and a half million when he wants to talk about something that's a large amount, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but it could be, it could be um, little quirky things people do or things people say. I don't know if that helps you understand what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, that really does. Thank you. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you have you been caught out by this, where you were at a family gathering and you said something about someone that you're not related to and then were made to feel uncomfortable? Yeah, I tend to do that once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and or maybe joined in and razzing or teasing that was already going on and yet you weren't really welcomed as a part of that? At times. Yes, and at times, no. <laughs> Other times, no. no. Okay. It kind of depends on the person. You eventually learn kind of where your boundaries are, shall I call it. Mm-hmm. And that's an important point of what you're talking about here. And this is a little linguistic, and it is a little something else. Um, okay. It, it, the linguistic part of this is plugs into what are known as in-group and out-group dynamics. 
And, and, okay. and then language is how it manifests by the language that we share and don't share. And so in a family mm. or family groups, we have all these in-jokes or we have uh, the little names for things that maybe a, a child coined years ago and that the family shares and, and that only they mm -hmm. use. Um, but other things belong to those in-group dynamics, too, and these are our understanding of each other, status and hierarchy sure. and authority and respect and also shared histories that no matter mm -hmm. how well you know your spouse, you maybe don't know all, everything about them. And and <laughs> and you might not know, even if you've known the, your in-laws 30 years, you still maybe don't mm -hmm. know them in the same way that, that the other people do. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it can seem unfair for them to exclude you, but it really is completely fair, at least in the power dynamics of families, for them to exclude you. And that's kind of hard to accept sometimes. It can be. But at the same time, it, when I've been called out, I realize it's just not my place. <laughs> so yeah. I learned my boundaries better. Sure. Yeah, you learned that mm -hmm. there's acceptable and unacceptable. But boy, that feeling of when they finally do invite you in and make you feel mm -hmm. as part of the family, that feeling mm -hmm. that washes over you is the most glorious thing in the world, isn't it? It can be, yeah. You know, there may be <laughs> things that I wish they'd they'd include me in I'd, I'd that'd make me part of I'll call I'll use your word the in group I like that but I felt like I've yeah. been in the out group and now I've been invited into that conversation or it's just they open the conversation and you you discern whether or not okay is this where I can talk or not you just have to like weigh it and it's often better not to and just listen yeah the, the talking the talking is just one manifestation of that emotional intimacy that may include or exclude you um and oh, and whether or not you seem presumptuous isn't up to you it's up to them no and no matter how no, hard you try you may never you may never meet the mark that they've set and that mark is yeah. so invisible isn't it that mark is something you'll you can't see only they can see it and it's so like extremely <laughs> clear to them and not to you. Yeah, that's, that's yep, well exactly. said. I, I agree. That social permission mm -hmm. is invisible until they point it out to you, and then the line, and then it goes invisible again. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Rafaela, thank you for uh, broaching this topic with us. This is this is a really good one, and I know a lot of people have encountered this. I think so. Thank you. That's kind of you to say. Thanks for taking my call. Bye bye now. All right. Bye bye. We would love to hear about those difficult family conversations that you had where maybe you didn't feel like it was your place to say something, but you did. And then something happened and maybe it was hard to get out of it. Or maybe you found a solution and you worked it out. And those are wonderful moments and we'd love to hear about them. The hard ones, the easy ones, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, y'all. This is Larry down in Texas. How y'all doing? All right, Larry. Welcome to the show. What's up, Larry? Okay, well, uh, I heard my my grandma use this term, and then uh, I have a cowboy friend that used this term, and uh, he used it in in a way that I didn't quite understand. So maybe you could help me out a little bit. It's uh, the term is he finished the conversation. And he said it is saucered and blowed, and I was trying to figure out what in the world does saucered and blowed mean. What does it mean? So he got to the end yeah. of a conversation. Was it about a project or something that was going on? Yeah, he just, uh, we just had a conversation. He said, okay, it's saucered and blowed. Okay. And uh, I heard a, a preacher one time uh, say when he finished his sermon, it was saucered and blowed. So okay. I'm, I'm assuming it's something that means it's over, but I don't know where it came from. And yep. uh, but my grand my grandmother used it, so I, maybe it's an old term. I'm not sure. Yeah, particularly yep. in the 18th century, uh, saucers were a lot deeper than they are now. They were more like little bowls. And there's been a long tradition in uh, Europe, in the U.K., with tea, and also here in the United States, particularly with coffee, or as my ancestors used to do because they couldn't afford coffee, they would just do this with boiling water. And so if you've, if you've poured out your coffee into the saucer and, uh, you know, it's spread out and it's cooling off and then you blow on it a little bit more, it's ready to drink. It's, you know, you, mission accomplished. Oh, uh, okay. So it's kind of like it's 
it's a mission accomplished. It's all over with. So let's get on with it. something like yeah. that. So yeah. you have yeah. saucered it, meaning you're putting it in the saucer, and you did blow on it, meaning you yeah. cooled it off with your own mm-hmm. breath. Therefore, it is finished mm-hmm. and ready to drink. It's been around for a while. Larry, there's a there's a story that George Washington once told Thomas Jefferson that the U.S. Senate was designed to be the saucer that would cool down the hot legislation that came over from the House. Now, that story oh, may be... <laughs> right? Goodness gracious. Yeah, that story may be apocryphal, but um, it's quite an image, wouldn't you say? Oh, unbelievable. Well, I sure hope the conversation cut the mustard with you folks. It definitely did. <laughs> it sure did, yeah. Okay. Larry, you know what this yeah. conversation is now, don't you? No, ma'am. What is this? Is it all saucer and blowed? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your program in saucer didn't blow it and you just keep on going. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. All right. Hey, y'all take now. care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Martha and I love to talk to you about uh, expressions in your life. We'd like to hear what you're reading and we'd like to know what you're thinking. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. That's toll-free in the United States and Canada, 24 hours a day. And no matter how you listen or where you are in the world, there are lots of ways to reach us. You can find them all on our website at waywardradio.org contact. Cheryl Anderson contacted us about a phrase in a book that's left her puzzled. She's reading a translation of Dostoevsky's book, The Idiot, and she came across this sentence. For the most part, these omniscient gentlemen are out at elbow and receive a salary of 17 rubles a month. And she's wondering, what does out at elbow mean? To be out at elbow means to be ragged or in bad condition. And the image here is literally a coat that's worn out at the elbows. So if you're out at elbow, you're not doing so well financially. And there is another version of this to be in at elbows. It's not very common, but uh, in that case, you're well paid. In at elbows, maybe you've had misfortune and then good fortune and patched them up. Right, exactly. We would love to hear from you. 877-929-9673 is a toll-free number in the United States and Canada. And you can also find ways to reach us no matter where you are in the world, including WhatsApp, on our website at waywardradio.org slash contact. Our team includes senior producer Stephanie Levine, engineer and editor Tim Felton, and quiz guide John Chinesky. We'd love to hear from you no matter where you are in the world. Go to waywardradio.org contact. Subscribe to the podcast, hear hundreds of past episodes, and get the newsletter at waywardradio.org. Whenever you have a language story or question, our toll-free line is open in the U.S. and Canada. 1-877-929-9673. Or send your thoughts to words at waywardradio.org. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who are changing the way the world talks about language. Special thanks to Michael Breslauer, Josh Eccles, Claire Grotting, Bruce Rogo, Rick Seidenworm, and Betty Willis. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash W-O-R-D-S. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.